So that is the real reason you guys left, huh? You just <laughs> exactly. you couldn't keep your yard nice enough. They kicked you out of the community and you got in an <laughs> RV. The extra pack of peanuts travel podcast, episode three seven zero. The world's most expensive RV is the forty foot long Element Palazzo which looks like an alien spaceship, but comes with a pop-up roof terrace and cocktail lounge, a fireplace, underfloor heating, and a hefty price tag of $3.1 million. Yes, for an RV. That's insane. One of my life goals is to travel around either the U.S., New Zealand, Australia, somewhere really cool in an RV for an extended period of time. So think a couple months or more. And we are going to do that hopefully sooner rather than later. But I want to let you in on a dirty little secret. One of the things that I'm worried about when it comes to RV life is packing. Because even when I'm just taking a road trip, I always think, well... I've got a car, and so I throw a little bit more in because I have a car with me, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and soon enough, the car is completely full with stuff, and I'm sitting there thinking, wait, I'm only going to the beach for a day. How did this happen? So I'm a little worried that that's going to be RV life, but I'm going to shove even more things in there. So I've got a plan. When I go on this RV trip, and I want you all to hold me to this, I am only going to pack in my Tortuga backpack. One of the best things about the Tortuga backpack, and the reason I take it with me everywhere I go, is that I love that it's carry-on size, so it keeps stuff compact, but it has plenty of room for everything that I will need. So when I'm going to go on the RV trip, I'm only going to pack in that Tortuga backpack. And whether you are going on an RV trip, a road trip, when you're getting on a plane, a train, doesn't matter. If you're looking for the best travel carry-on backpack out there, check it out, tortugabackpacks.com. Make sure you use the promo code EPOP. That'll get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today are a couple that have been full-time RVing for the last four and a half years, and who during that time have visited all 50 states, summered in Maine, wintered in Alaska, written a book that was just recently published by Simon & Schuster, oh, that's tough to say early in the morning, and which can be found even in Costco and who are not retired. Mark and Julie Bennett from RVLove.com. Mark and Julie, thanks for joining me and a huge welcome. Hey, Travis. Hey, we're so excited to be here with you. Yeah, (laughs) since we first met, you guys have been pretty busy. We we met, what, three and a half years Uh, ago, I believe? Yeah, we were barely a year on the road when we met you in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, and since then, we just reconnected in, in Austin at TravelCon, and I was getting mm-hmm. caught up on some of the stuff you guys were doing. I thought, oh my gosh, first off, I better get more motivated, because in three and a half years, <laughs> you guys have done quite a lot of stuff. Fill people in a little bit, just on the last 
like four and a half years of the RV journey, like a quick overview, and then we'll get into why it happened, how it happened, and all the nitty-gritty. Sure. Well, we hit the road back in June of 2014. We sold our townhome in Colorado, bought a motorhome, hit the road, started driving. Mark had a full-time job at the time, working full-time for a company, uh, and uh, he was able to do that remotely. And I was self-employed. I was sort of, I'd just been laid off from my job, actually. So it was a really good opportunity to, instead of get another job in a commute, uh, start exploring what I wanted to do again. And uh, we started traveling and really exploring after hours, weekends and things like that. And it's amazing how much travel you can do when your home is with you in all these cool locations as you travel, just right outside your door. You know, you can fit a lot more travel into your life when RVing is your life. Yeah, because you're not spending a lot of the time doing the travel. For example, you know, if you want to go to Grand Canyon, some people have to spend a couple of days to get there. But we just eventually make our way to the Grand Canyon. And then as soon as work's over, we just we're there. So <laughs> It allows you to get a lot more travel experiences while still working, which was really key because I had that regular, you know, 40, 50 hour work week job that we took on the road with us for the first few years. And then we, after three years, then I left that job and now we work for ourselves and Mm -hmm. we do a lot of content creation around RV lifestyle and uh, we have our online school, and now we recently came out with the book that you mentioned that we're so proud of, and that's a really exciting achievement for us. So it's, yeah, been a big few years. <laughs> it's a fascinating point and, and one that I guess I hadn't really thought of. I mean, inherently, I know, okay, you're in your RV, so your home is with you. But I didn't ever think of the fact that, yeah, like you're just going to get to the places that you want to travel to eventually. So you're not wasting that time on a plane, driving, on a train, what have you. You're just saying like, all right, well, in three months, we'll be out at the Grand Canyon. So in the meantime, let's hit up what's right around us and have so many more experiences in such a condensed amount of time. Because as you guys mentioned, and and I think the big misconception is that a lot of times people in RVs are retired. So for them, who cares? Like, hey, you, you don't really have any responsibilities or at least not the work responsibilities. So you have way more time to do that kind of stuff. But both of you were working full-time, are still working full-time. Now it's just for your own business. So talk about that a little bit because, again, that is this huge, huge misconception that RV means retired, you know, you're 65, you get in the RV, you cruise down the highway, and that's it. Well, I think that is a common misconception, and Travis, and when we first hit the road, we definitely saw a lot more retired people on the road, but we've seen a huge shift in the RVing landscape Mm -hmm. as we've been traveling. There's a lot more younger people doing this now, and, you know, a lot of people like us that are working, but also a lot of families. You know, technology has changed everything. It's totally changed the game for us all to be digital nomads and travel and be wherever we want to be, and, you know, we love driving. So it kind of was a no-brainer for us to to RV. We like having our home with us. But it's been really interesting to see the evolution of that space. And, you know, when the publisher reached out to us and asked us to to write this book, they said, you know, we want it to speak to everyone from millennials to retirees and everyone in between. And that's a pretty tall order because you're talking like 20s to 70s and it's like how do you speak the same language to all of these people? So that that was a uh, interesting challenge, but we pulled it off and uh, – you know, I just think it's interesting that now I think there's a lot more awareness through social media. You know, people were all sharing on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and Pinterest and you're seeing great places and how people are doing it and what, what kind of RVs they have and what they do to their RVs to make it 
suitable to live in. Like we, we bought a bunkhouse, which is typically for families with kids, and converted the bunks into a separate office for Mark to work from. So he had his own separate space. So, you know, I think by prioritizing work as you travel, it's, it's, it's becoming more evident to a lot more people that this is a really viable form of traveling. Um, and you don't have to wait until you're retired to do it. Yeah, you mentioned that it seems to be at this, uh, either at this tipping point or has already hit a tipping point where it is so many more younger people, families, like it isn't just the retires. What do you think is driving that? I, th- I think a big part of it is just the awareness, you know, mm-hmm. that people are sharing so much on social media and other ways that now there's so many more people that get that, oh, wow, people really live like this. This is, And so then they start questioning their own lifestyles and then start seeing ways that they can make it a reality. And even for us, you know, you know, it was about five years ago when we first had the idea and we were just trying to envision more travel into our life and how we can do that. And RVing came up as a possibility. And then we started researching it more. We realized, oh, wow, the internet connectivity is really not that tough now with the cellular now. And and we started seeing other people doing it, and it just made it that much more tangible for us. But I think that's the biggest piece of it. It's just the awareness and that so many people are sharing about it is opened up that door for people to think more creatively about how to reorganize their lives. Yeah, just one of those, you don't know what you don't know. And so if you, you had no idea people were out RVing or, or younger people or people who were still working, you, you wouldn't consider it. And yet... Then you see a Facebook post of a friend of a friend of a friend, or you see a business insider story of this family quit their jobs and live in an RV, whatever it is. All of a sudden you think, wait a second, uh, someone is actually doing that. I, I could do that too. And, and that is one of the neat things, I think, about the rise of social media and, and you know the focus kind of being shifted in, in mainstream media sources as well to, to I want to say glamorizing, but but not in a bad way, but showing or showcasing people who are leading unconventional lives, whereas before it might be like, oh, this is just a subset, whatever. We'll write a story every five years about it. Now it's like, no, there's a lot more people doing it, so there's a lot more content. For for you guys, what was that? Because you mentioned, Mark, five years ago, you were like, hey, RVing is, might be an option, but it, it wasn't like you're, it didn't sound like, hey, we're definitely doing this. What made RVing the thing that you were going to do versus maybe something else. And how long did that really, like, what did that really look like? How long before you actually took a leap from when you said, yeah, we're going to consider an unconventional lifestyle to now, all right, we're on the road in the RV. Well, I think it was probably about six months or so because we were looking at this in in the fall. About nine months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we were looking at it in the fall of 13 and then we were just trying to envision more travel. And then we started we thought about how I had traveled in an RV for work years before and thought, wow, this is an amazing way to travel. And then when we started looking at it and realizing they're not as expensive as I originally thought, that started making it a reality. And then when we realized if we trade all the expenses from our home, traditional home, for RV expenses, it becomes very tangible very quickly. And so, yeah, within nine months, we were actually driving off into the sun 
quite literally. But I, I think to add to what Mark has just shared there, the seed was planted long before that. And I think that's the same with anyone who dreams to travel in their life is that was it maybe 10 years earlier in your job, he worked for a company where he was what's on called prize patrol. So he was giving out prizes to people that have yeah, like a fitness the people contest. that hand out the big cardboard checks to people. So instead of flying the team around the country, they, uh, they hired a guy and a driver with a big fancy bus, big Prevo bus conversion for anyone that's familiar with those and wrapped it. So it was a huge branding exercise for his employer. And then how many of you traveled in that bus around the country over 10 days? You did like 5,000 miles in 10 days. We had six of us in there. So six of them. They didn't stay in the bus. They stayed in hotels, but they were driving around in the bus. So can you imagine they're driving in with this big bus, totally wrapped. And, uh, but so that he got to sit up front and always talked about that. So that seed was planted easy 10 years ago. For yeah, you. yeah. And as yeah. I'm Australian, in case anyone's wondering what the accent is, I've been living here in the US now for 10 years, but as an Aussie, I mean, my girlfriends and I would always talk and dream about a great American road trip. I think everyone in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, wherever, so many people dream about doing a great American road trip. And I always wanted to do that. And I remember pricing it out. It just seemed so expensive. Mm. So that plant seed was planted for me probably 20 years ago. And then we we met a couple. It was, we were uh, getting, we were organizing our wedding and we'd uh, going down to we were down in Colorado Springs doing some things down there and we ran into a couple at a pizza restaurant at the next table who were in their 50s and they we got chatting turns out they were full-time RVing and we were just like whoa people do that well, That's really, really that, that, yeah. that so that was in uh, the summer of 2011 so when you think about it for me 20 years ago mark 10 years ago then 2011 and then we came back life got in the way which that happens for all of us right and then it was another two years later that we really started thinking and talking about it and then nine months before we hit the road so when you ask how long it took it depends you know yeah there's a little there's the, little steps in there for for sure what it's it, important yeah yeah what did regular life look like for you two before you before you popped on the RV you mentioned that you both had full-time jobs but what was it was it a was it a very typical hey nine to five Monday through Friday we've got our place in Colorado like suburban lifestyle yep. it, it <laughs> yep. was it was that yeah we had we lived in a really nice neighborhood it was called Bradburn Village in Colorado it was a uh, new urbanism so it was you know Fairly, it looked more old architecture, but it was actually new builds, and it was a community built around interaction. And we had a really nice life, you know. We had we both had we both had full time jobs, but we had two cars that we drive. Um, and then I eventually got that job that I could work from home. And so at that point, Julie and I were able to both work from home, and uh, that made I think a little bit easier transition for us to living in an RV as well, is that we already had some experience living together all day and. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, we weren't just seeing each other after hours. But we had, yeah, we had the traditional life, and and it was funny because when we started telling people, you start you got a lot of mixed reviews. Some people would be, oh my gosh, that's so exciting and courageous, and you'd see other people that are like, you're crazy. You're have you lost your mind? You're leaving <laughs> your career, and or this is career suicide to go on the road. But it was actually the opposite. I actually had a num multiple offers for promotion. Uh, on the road uh, because I just made connectivity a priority and was able to be connected. But yeah, you get really funny stuff, even from family. Like my mom would say, well, do you know how hard that's going to be to dig that thing out of the snow? And I'd be, well, we're not traveling in snow. But, uh, and then my grandma would hit me in the shoulder and say, you get out there and do it. And uh, that was the mindset that we kind of held on to. 
it's funny the things that people worry about for you, right? Like sometimes they're legit oh, yeah. worries, but most of the time you're just thinking like, okay, the one time I might have to dig myself out of snow, like how many times am I going to have to shovel here in Colorado to get my car out of the driveway to go to the grocery store, right? You know, it's it's these things that are super, uh, like like aren't even important that sometimes people worry about and you just think, like you just laugh it off because what else are you going to say? It's not that they feel ill will towards you, it's just... They think of things a different way and that, that you can't. For you guys then, what was the, you know, you took the leap and all, but what was the hardest thing to give up? Like once you hit the road and you're in the RV, what is it that you sat back and said, all right, this is cool. Overall, we really, really love doing this, which is why you've done it for four and a half years, but, but we miss this. You know, that's that's a good question, Travis, because we've, we ask ourselves that question quite a few times and it's hard to find there's really not much. I mean, mm. I would say occasionally I'll, I'll miss my bathtub. But but here's the thing is a lot of the campgrounds we stay in have hot tubs and we don't have to maintain it and some of them are really nice pools and hot tubs. Uh, so that would be – so I think I don't miss that as much as I thought I would and I think it's partly because there are hot tubs a lot of places we go and partly because a lot of the reason I loved my bath is after a stressful day at work, it was kind of a way to just wash the day away. I don't have those stressful days at work like I used to, so I'm not feeling the need for it as often. So that's mm. – but that's I, I struggle to think of something for me. What about you? Maybe yesterday you came up with a couple. Oh, well, you know, I think a lot of people that hit the road, they struggle about missing their community, their family and friends. And um, we had a little bit of concern of that, but we actually, the reality of it is, is that even though we lived only a couple miles from a lot of family, we would hardly ever see them. Mm. You know, people get so busy in their everyday lives and we actually have more quality time with them now. Uh, we, we make an effort to travel through the area from time to time. And when we do, people are so much more motivated to make that time to spend with you. And so we end up with more quality time than we'd had before. Uh, but there's, you know, a couple of things that you might miss. Um, Tell about yesterday. What did we do yesterday? Well, yesterday we went to <laughs> an indoor go-kart track and it made me miss my old high-performance go-kart. I had it. Uh, you know, you don't have room to carry that kind of stuff around for most people. You know, you can set up your travel however you want. You know, you can get RVs that have toy haulers, so you could carry that kind of stuff. But... Um, we currently don't. And so there's a couple little things. But for the most part, the life has had so many extra experiences and enrichment that we haven't missed much at all. Oh, no, really. We definitely don't miss yard work and uh, and that kind of a thing. That's that's a big one. See, I, I'm with you in that I hate having to spend time that I could be either do, doing something I like, like a hobby, like reading or playing basketball or just be out traveling. I hate when I'm in my yard th and I think, why am I even bothering with this? Like, what if I just <laughs> went away to another country? Like, no one would care about my yard. I wouldn't care about my yard. And yet it's one of those things that when you when you are at home, and you do have a house. And, and I get some people get enjoyment from that. I just don't. But yeah, but you, you know, you have to keep it up because that's just the thing to do. And I, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm with you. All right. No yard work in an RV. Big, big, no. big And that's positive. a real big one for me because I was terrible about that. In fact, the neighborhood we lived in had a really strict HOAs. I was getting written up all the time because I'm not good at it. I, it's not yeah, that I didn't try. I just was. You'd rather be out on a bike don't have or a something. Thumb at all. So that is the real reason you guys left, huh? You just you <laughs> couldn't <laughs> keep your yard nice enough. They kicked you out of the community and you got in an <laughs> RV. Right. <laughs> how how much planning do you all do before before you take off? Or I mean, I guess you're always off, but how much planning do you do about where you're going to be? For example, six months from now, do you know where you're going to be, or is it pretty spur of the moment? 
we're, well, we're fairly good about having a few months of travel booked. We're much more fluid in our travels now that we work for ourselves than when I had my regular job. When I had my regular job, we would be pretty diligent about being booked up at least three months, if not six months out. And we know generally where we're going to be because we like to follow the weather. You know, what's one of the beauty of having a home with wheels is that you can follow all the best weather all year long. And so to that to, to that note, we have at least some loose travel plans for six months. But now that we work for ourselves, we are definitely much more fluid in our scheduling. And, and I think, too, because we're a lot more experienced and confident as RVers. That's when we true. first started out, I mean, like you said earlier, you don't know what you don't know and and you don't know how far in advance you have to book and how easy it is to get in and is there going to be cell coverage and, you know, can you navigate your RV around that <laughs> corner? So we, we were a lot more diligent about that. But now we're, we're just a lot more relaxed about going with the flow. Um, you know, we've never been without a place to park. We've never been somewhere, even here in Florida for the winter, mm -hmm. which is really, really popular in the winter, as you know. Uh, all the snowbirds come down here from all around the country. And it's it's just uh, it's a lot easier to wing it and more fun now to wing it. And we, we just recently, probably about six months ago, upgraded our motorhome with a lithium battery setup and solar panels. So we also have a lot more flexibility to be able to camp off-grid or camp at a Walmart parking lot or you know, just be in a mm. campground. We really have a lot more uh, options available to us now. How how would you break down your year with time that you're spent like in a place? So you're at a campsite and you're there for X amount of time. You know, like a longer term um, stay versus traveling, which would be on the road between places, or hey, every night somewhere different, or every couple nights somewhere different. How does that break down for you guys? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I appreciate that because a lot of people say they're full-time RVers, but they may, may live in their RV full-time, but they're not full-time travelers. And I think Julie and I definitely lean more towards the full-time traveler side mm -hmm. of that in that we rarely stay more than three weeks in a location. Um, we often, we average probably closer to one week in a location when you factor in a lot of the, the overnights that we spend on the way to somewhere. Uh, this year, in particular, we had a couple long stays. One, we had a two-month stay when we were writing the book, and then we had a two-month stay in the summer when we were doing a renovation on the motorhome. But in general, we are moving every couple weeks uh, on average. So, And you, you need to do that, really. I mean, it's fun to sort of move a little quicker sometimes, especially when you're on your way somewhere. Like, like we might be going somewhere, but instead of hightailing it, we'll say, well, let's take a few days to get there so we can stop along the way. And I've always wanted to go to this restaurant or visit that national park. But then, uh, you know, we try to spend a, at least a week or two because we still work. So you need to have that time to be productive. It's really hard to be productive when you're packing up and moving all of the time. But that's why we hunkered down for those two-month periods when we're working on big projects this year. Yeah, when you have the RV and you're coming through and you you are going to spend like, let's say, a week or two weeks somewhere – is it pretty easy for you guys to come into a campground? And is that well? I guess first, is that where you're usually going? Like, if you're going to spend usually. a week or two or three, you're going to be in a campground versus, yeah, a Walmart parking lot, which I know uh, they probably don't let you be there for that long anyway. But. <laughs> no, <laughs> some people some... do try and stretch that, but we <laughs> usually only stay in a Walmart when we're overnighting on the way on the large drive, so that we don't have to do any setup or tear down or anything like that. Um, generally when we're going to go somewhere for a week or two, it is into a campground because generally Julie and I tend to campground camp more, but we do have a very capable rig for 
doing some off-grid camping. So when we can just be out in the middle of nowhere, like on the cover of the book, where there's no other RVs in sight, and we just have million-dollar views out our window, and we well, can stay there. We're talking national forest, yeah, national uh, free forest. land, so you can stay there for two weeks for free. Yeah, and so we might stay two weeks in a location like that. But in general, to your, to your question, we are going to campgrounds. And then what's it like when you're in a campground to – extend your stay because if you don't know like if you say and you get there all right i want to be here a week and then we want to and then you decide ah, we want a couple more days is it fairly easy to add on like predominantly i know maybe florida summer or in the winter hard but is it usually easy to be like all right we want to stay here for a bit longer yeah, to your point, it, it really does depend on where and the time of year uh, and also the size of your RV. The bigger the RV, the harder it's going to be. The smaller the RV, um, the easier it is. And, and it's just a tricky one because as RVing is getting more and more popular, more common, more people are doing it, we're definitely noticing it's getting a little more challenging than it used to be. Um, but, you know, we so we're here in Florida, as you said, for the winter. That That's going to be a little trickier. But people change their reservations all the time. So you might be able to get an extra day here and there. But I think you have to be prepared to be flexible. We've stayed in some places where we've extended our stay without any trouble at all. Uh, you know, less populous areas. Uh, natural, or swing season. Yeah. Or swing season is a lot easier, which as full-time RV is, for us the hardest part is summer from Memorial Day to Labor Day. It's always the tr- trickiest part because everyone's out there RVing, everyone that just gets their vacations and the kids are out of school. And, yeah. and holiday weekends. That's when we generally try and book something well in advance as a holiday weekend yeah. because so many people have those off and are trying to get into campgrounds at those times. But all of that said, you know, they're also – the industry knows that RVing is growing, and we just were uh, catching up with a friend yesterday who shared that there was a company that's got like 11 new campgrounds that they've broken ground on with a couple of hundred sites each. So there's definitely – the industry knows what's happening. It's been in like an eight, eight consecutive years boom. They've been shipping half a million units a year for the last two years in a row, and that's just new units, by the way. Most RV is by used RVs. Which is a very good about very good thing to do. Oh, <laughs> it's a very good practice, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we will get into all about how yeah. to buy RVs too, because trust me, as someone who wants an RV, I'm going to be peppering yeah. you with those type of I, questions. With with that idea, like now you've been four and a half years in the U.S. Do you follow somewhat of a circuit? Like, are there places that you say, "All right, we're going to come back to," and and are there favorites, like either favorite areas or favorite campgrounds that you that you're like, "All right, we're going to hit this at least once a year because we just know this campground in this place once a year is is kind of like coming home for us." Well, we know that going to Colorado because Mark's still got family there. We definitely always go through Colorado at least once. This year was like this four year went times. four times through Colorado, but Incidentally, usually at least once. Colorado is one of the toughest states to find campground stays. I have to tell everyone that because that is one of our most challenging states to find campgrounds. But they've got a lot of great state parks, a uh, few uh, county parks, that kind of a thing. But it, it can be in the Denver Boulder metro area. That is, yeah. Um, but to answer your bigger question, you know, we definitely travel with the weather we go in north in the summer and south in the winter and we usually like to go down in the southwest but this year we're mixing it up we're coming down into florida and we're going to make our way all the way down to key west again to go to a wedding of some friends yeah but a few favorites um definitely love staying in uh sedona on that national forest land that we mentioned earlier I mean, that's that's a pretty special place. You're really close to the Grand Canyon within a couple of hours. You're close to the to the desert, which, which you know, for people that haven't spent a lot of time in the desert, it is a lot more beautiful than you might imagine. 
especially, you know, in Arizona and those winters, they're incredible. Uh, one of our favorite places to winter is down in Arizona. Uh, Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta. That, I'd say that's a must-do event for anyone, RVer or not. I mean, if you've got an RV, you can go and stay there. It's fantastic to wake up and you're having your coffee and you've got like hundreds of balloons over your head and you get some amazing photo ops with that. Uh, Maine was awesome, but that's not something that we regularly put on a travel schedule because it's right up there in the northeast corner. What else is there? I think Colorado, because it's right in the middle of the country and we have family there and it's such a beautiful state, I would be. I think that's the one that we would try to get to. Yeah, and I, I would assume you'd find your way going through there quite a bit because, like you said, it, it's, yeah. a lot of the roads go through there. It's super central. It's a hub for that, that exactly. part of the country, which is just nice that you guys happen to have family there and want to come through there anyway. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, Colorado is beautiful yeah. all, all times of year. Yeah, whether yeah, whether you're an RV or not, who doesn't want to go through Colorado? What are some of like the coolest setups or neatest things you've seen with other RVs? Because I want to get into this, in, into like what type of RVs there are and things like that. But I'm sure you've seen a lot of people with a lot of different RVs. What are some of the things that you see and you're like, oh, that's a really neat idea, or or ones that you've stolen and used for your own RV? <laughs> well, you know, you really see the gamut. You see someone pulling a, a tiny little RAV4 pulling a hard shell tent, basically, you know, behind them. And then you see someone, an <laughs> and then you see someone on the other extreme ends. You know, we met a couple in Maine who had an amazing RV. It was they pulled it with a former over the road semi truck, you know, of a Volvo, and but it was a huge fifth wheel. And it had a motorcycle on the back of the fifth wheel trailer, but it, on the bed of the truck in front of that trailer, they had a smart car mounted sideways. So they had the truck, the car, the trailer, and a motorcycle all in one big rig. So, and it was, I mean, you see some really crazy stuff. And we see some families. I think one of the most unique I saw was a family of 12 that was traveling. So they had a truck and a trailer, but then they also had a van and a cargo trailer to be able to <laughs> have this entire that group was their of closet. people. Yeah. Yeah, it was so you see there. some crazy unique stuff, but <clears throat> some really fun toys out there too. But we see a lot of people doing, like as you say, the whole gamut from huge to small. And we've seen a lot of people out there in vans now. I mean, obviously the van life movement is huge. One of the women featured in our book, uh, she actually – is in a Mercedes Sprinter van. She's been doing this. She's 60 years old. She's been doing it for six years. She's done 120,000 miles, traversed the country six times solo, and she has this completely custom decked out uh, Mercedes Sprinter van. She doesn't even have any uh, – she doesn't have any propane. She has like a little induction cooked up. She's got solar, and she gets by on 10 gallons of water a week, not including laundry. So she – travels really like at the opposite extreme yeah very frugally and very simply and yep. um, you know when you have an rv like that you can do a lot of stealth camping too which means opens up a lot of stealth camping means that you're not in a campground you're not in anywhere you're trying to pretend you're, you're kind of you're street. hiding you're, yeah you can just hide in camping in um streets in yeah. neighborhoods and because mm -hmm. you're stealthy like that so it's very different style is that kind of a the way that you get your street cred with RVing is the amount of miles? Like you said, she did one hundred and twenty thousand miles in the last six years. Is that is that kind of like you know the way people are gauging? Like, oh, how many miles have you been doing this? Or is or is it like so. I don't know? Because I, I think mileage is actually one of the big myths of the lifestyle. Uh, because so many people, when we talk to them, oh my gosh, you must put so many miles on your RV, living, traveling all the time, and and that's a big myth for us because 
we actually don't put nearly as many miles as most people think. In fact, one of our best examples of that was in 2015, we started off the year in San Diego, California, traversed across to Texas, up through Colorado, into the Great Lakes region, and all the way up into Maine, finished the year down all the way down the East Coast in Miami, and people would guess, oh my gosh, you must have put 20, 50,000 miles. We only put 8,400 miles on the RV. And then I think one of the biggest things in that is that we only go one way. We don't go back, right? And so when people have an RV or have any experience with doing road trips, they always have to go there and back, there and mm -hmm. back. And that doubles their mileage. And then people put 15,000 miles a year just driving to and from work. And so they extrapolate that. But yeah. But the other thing that is the point of difference here is we tow a vehicle. So we, in that same year that we did 8,400 in the RV, we did just under 12,000 in our towed vehicle, which was a Mini Cooper convertible at the time. So it was about 20,000 in a year. That was all about exploring, mm -hmm. driving around our national parks, whereas that example we shared earlier of Joanne, her Mercedes Sprinter van is her only vehicle. Right, right. So she's averaging 20,000 a year over six years. You know, mm -hmm. it's about the same mileage, but she goes everywhere in that. The fuel economy is obviously much better on her rig than on ours. But we average ours because we, we in our tow vehicle, it's got much better fuel economy than the RV. It kind of balances out. So we never ever stress when we go to a go to a gas station and we're filling up a tank and it's 300 bucks, which would freak a lot of people out. That could last us a month or more. That easy, yeah, depending on how much Depending on how far and fast you travel. It might also only last us a day. <laughs> right, right, right. That's a big you're going, you're going up the hills, you're like, oh boy, we're going through the Rockies, filling up twice. Uh, expensive day. What is the cost? Do you guys do you guys gauge that or, or track that for your cost yeah. per year? We do like to keep track of our costs, and we also can see that as a huge variance. But in general, we find that people will spend about what they did in their traditional lifestyle, maybe a little less. But we have seen it all depends on your why. And that's one of the things we talk about in the book is finding your why on why you're wanting to live this lifestyle. Because if you've been trying to save up for a lifestyle and you're going to go and do a lot of big, exciting travel, you don't have to work, you're financially independent, you're going to spend a lot more than someone who's really trying to live frugally or someone who's you know, in a young family that's still working, trying to save for retirement. So we've seen people spend as little as 1500 a month and as much as probably 7000 a month. That's not just on fuel. That's the entire lifestyle. That's the entire yeah, lifestyle. yeah, that's what I'm looking for, the entire yeah, lifestyle. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. with that, what do you think, like what kind of, can you say, similarities or differences between what you're spending your money on versus being at home? Like does the RV cost the same amount as you would say ah roughly equivalent to like what we were paying in mortgage or is the rv cheaper but you're spending more on eating out because you're not cooking as much what yeah. what have you yeah. seen for your life since you're saying well, it's it, it's somewhat comparable the amount you're spending yeah. so what what we found and what we found speaking to a lot of other rvs that we've met on the road too so for example when we before we even started, we had to look at our budget and what we were already spending, right? Because we had the same questions as everyone else. Well, how much does it cost to do this? Well, are you buying a new RV or a used RV? Are you buying a $20,000 or a $200,000 one? So all of those variances. But everyone's going to spend around about what is within your own financial means. So we looked at our um, numbers and we broke our budget up into fixed costs versus variable costs. So we had the mortgage, HOA, utility bills, you know, car payments. These are all our fixed expenses, which was about two-thirds of our uh, total budget. And a third was variable, you know, eating out and stuff like that. When we changed with the RV life, so we sold our townhome 
and we sold our two cars that had payments and paid cash for our our vehicle, our Mini, so we didn't have a payment anymore. So what we did is we, we repurposed all of our outgoings and our expenses. So instead of having a mortgage and an HOA and utilities, we traded that for an RV. And I mean, I'll tell you what our RV payment was in our first RV, but it's a little bit misleading because, again, it's going to depend for everybody. Some people just pay cash for an RV, but our payment was 500, what was it, 569 a month mm-hmm. on our RV. But that was a 20-year note. I mean, you don't want to be paying an RV off over 20 years because those things depreciate like crazy. But, uh, you know, we sold that earlier this year and you do take a depreciation hit on the RV. And so we factored that in. So it ended up being really, was probably costing us $1,000 a month because we, we know what we depreciated. Again, that figure was our situation, will vary for everyone, but uh, we you, spend more on eating out because we're always in cool new places and restaurants who want to try. <laughs> yeah, but I think one of the points that Julie was trying to drive there was that we used to have a lot of fixed expenses and only a third variable. Now we have mostly variable mm. and fewer fixed. So it's flipped. So we do spend money on a mortgage on the RV, but it's way less than we had in our townhome. We do end up needing to pay some for campgrounds. Campgrounds is one of your next largest expenses, but campgrounds and fuel uh, are very variable. So depending on how you travel, you can have a lot of control over those. And if you join campground memberships like we did, you can drastically reduce those expenses as well. So it's very easy to control your expenses because you have so much more variability in how how you spend. Yeah, like if somebody, say, for example, it gets laid off from a job in a regular life. I mean, you still have those mortgage payments and car payments, and that, that gets painful if you can't find another job right away. If a similar situation, whether, whether it's laid off from a job or even just a big unexpected expense, right, like some friends of ours just had their truck break down. That was an $8,000 repair. So something like that, you can stay put in one place. You just don't go out to eat as often. You're not spending money on fuel and campgrounds as much because the longer you stay in a campground, your costs come down. If you're staying for a month, you'll get a much better rate than if you're paying nightly rates. So, I mean, it's 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 a kind of lifestyle. It's, it's tricky to give hard answers because it's so variable for everyone. But I think the important thing for people to realize is we know people of every age, every life stage and every budget doing this and there are so many different ways to do it and that that's we really cover all of that in our book living the rv life because it's really showing well what is how do you want to do it what are your goals and how can you creatively make it happen because that's really what it comes down to isn't it? it's like any form of travel right you're being creative about how you're using the money that you have and you know to achieve the goals that you're wanting in your travel experiences and yeah and there's I a lot love, of i love that point that you might even be spending the same amount, but A, you're spending it on things you probably want to do more because the variable expenses are the, you know, we could call them the fun expenses usually, like eating out, entertainment, traveling, paying fees to get into parks or amusement parks or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I love that how you put it where it's always, it's going to be different and everyone's situation is is different, but you took what was two-thirds fixed, one-third fun, let's say, and kind of flipped it and said, all right, we're like two-thirds fun, one-third fixed, and if we do want to cut down, then we just cut down on, on the fun or we, or we slow it down a little bit. And I, I think that is really the, the crux of it and the big important lesson is that you just have less of these expenses monthly weighing you down, weighing you down that come out of your pocket before you're even getting to make a decision, really, um, which is really Absolutely. nice. And I think one thing to add to that too is a lot of people, uh, I mean, like, I think most people realize that 
homes and real estate generally are income generating or income producing your assets. They're going to be worth more down the track than they are now. But RVs are the opposite. They're going to be worth less. Anything with wheels is going to depreciate. But, you know, I think the thing to keep in mind is a lot of people don't realize they forget about the hidden costs of home ownership, you know, just the maintenance of the home, you know, the insurance, the utility bills. We don't pay utility bills anymore. We can run our heaters in cold weather 24-7. We don't have to pay for it. Yeah. So, you know, there's just there are a lot of costs of home ownership that I think a lot of people forget about. Uh, you know, the bigger the house, the more you have to fill it with stuff and furniture. And we did it ourselves, didn't we, in Colorado? Mm-hmm. We, we just, well, how do we keep accumulating all this stuff? Yeah. What are we you, doing with it? Yeah, and you, then you look at it. I mean, not me as much, but but certain people in my family who will remain nameless <laughs> be like, oh, well, uh, I want a new chair for this corner. I'm like, <laughs> that chair there is perfect. It's only two years old. Yeah, but it doesn't go with the decor. And you're just sitting there. I mean, I guess feasibly you could do that with your RV where you're changing stuff out, but it would be much much less likely. And of course, like there's much less stuff. Let's talk about your RV. What are you guys in? And then I want to kind of get into a little bit of a buying guide for RVs and what people should consider. So tell us about the RV that you have now and your first RV too, because now, now you've had two. Sure. Yeah. Well, we'll start off chronological and we'll say the first RV we had was a 2012 Tiffin gas-powered motorhome. It was uh, about a. It's a Class A. So they're the ones that look like buses when they're driving down the road. And that one, like I said, it was a 2012, so it was only about two years old when we bought it. And we had that for the first three years on the road. And one of the primary things we wanted in that one was we wanted a separate workspace for my job because I wanted the separation from work and life uh, so that it kept the work-life balance for that. And it worked really well for us. It was a great RV for us. But eventually we wanted to switch it up. And we our lifestyle changed where we worked together, not separate. And we also wanted something that we could truly personalize and make our own. And so we bought an older, higher quality um, motorhome. So it's substantially older, actually. We bought a 1999 motorhome, um, but it's a big diesel motorhome, still a Class A, the bus type. But it's originally, it's about 40 feet. And what was exciting about buying one that was a bit older is that, you know, as Julie mentioned, these RVs depreciate. And so buying one that was substantially older, we hit it at the bottom of its depreciation curve. This RV would have been $230,000 new back in 1999. That's, you know, with inflation, that's equivalent to $350,000 coach. We bought it for less than we paid for our Jeep. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we bought it for 25, but we knew we were going to put 10 grand into it. But, you know, we're only 35, $40,000 invested into this. Yeah. As soon as when we bought it, we knew that it wasn't perfect and it needed, we needed new tires, we needed um, new batteries, we quite a few things we had to do. Yeah, but it's, it's an amazing home and it's, it's a, it's a very high quality product and we really enjoy it. So, you know, but, uh. Those are our two RVs that we've had. We've stuck with that Class A, that bus type, partially because we both really like having a spirited car for our daily driver cars. So we like to tow. We're very particular about the vehicle we're able to tow, whereas some people are really comfortable driving a big truck as their daily driver. And so for them, it makes more sense for them to get a towable, a trailer of some type. What did you guys pay for the the first RV? And then you mentioned it depreciated, but if you don't mind sharing mm, what you sure. paid for it and then what you ended up selling it for. Yeah, well, that's no secret because we actually cover that in chapter three of our book. But it's we paid 93000 for that two 
year-old motorhome. It had 23,000 miles on it. Uh, we were actually the third owner, mm-hmm. and we sold it for... 75. 75. So that was – now, don't forget, you have to pay tax on these things as well. So we paid 93 plus tax. I think pretty rounded up around about 100, uh, which seems like a lot. But, you know, when when we sold a house, I mean, this was our home and our work, everything, it, it – it was a, it was at a standard that we felt happy and comfortable to live in. It was pretty modern, pretty new. We were new RVs, so we felt that would be something reliable. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to be having to buy an older coach and remodel. We would not have made the decision to buy the coach that we have now back then when we started because we didn't have the time or the interest in doing a remodel, in fixing all the things that we needed to get fixed. Mark had a full-time job. We wanted to travel and explore. Yeah. So that's why we always – ask people to question, question your why, why are you doing it, what's important to you because what was important to us at that time was for us. It may not be right for everyone else. I mean, we, we have things go on with this, RV, this older one. Let's just say she's got a lot of quirks. We love it. Uh, we just did a remodel on it in the summer and we'll be revealing that in our YouTube series starting in January. It's going to blow a lot of people away when they see what we've done to it. It, it doesn't look like an RV anymore, does mm-hmm. it? It looks more like an apartment on wheels. But, you know, she's got her quirks, you know. I mean, Mark's got a nice little list of things to do with a fix list on of it. things, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, one more comment I want to make on that too, though. You know, Julie mentioned we bought it at 93 and with tax and everything, we were close to 100 and sold it for 75. So you got to also remember we bought and sold well. That some people, you know, if we would have traded that in, the you know trade-in value right. was substantially lower than that. You know, ten to twenty thousand lower than that. So, um, depending on how you do this, you can get a lot more financial pain than that. Um, but and if that you worked buy out new, pretty well for us. Yeah, and if you buy new, you know, almost never will you pay full sticker on an RV. We've known people who have, but in general, you're going to want to be looking at that twenty-five percent off of MSRP when you're buying a new RV and. All also know that a new RV is generally has more little things to fix than even than a used one. It's not mm-hmm. like new cars. These things have a very complex. Um, they're very complex things rolling down the road, and so a new RV generally has a large punch list of things to work through in the first six months or a year, mm-hmm. um, compared to something that the first owner has worked through all that. So that's something that is uh, definitely want to keep in mind. Is that one of the biggest mistakes you see people making? Is buying an RV or buying a, a new RV? And and on that, would you? Is there any reason someone should buy a new RV versus going for either a lightly used, like you guys did originally, or even a more used but higher quality RV? You know, I I think that it's a different case for everyone. We know some people who will only buy new and mm-hmm. it's, for, it's the best choice for them and partially because they'll know the entire history of it. Mm-hmm. And if they're really diligent, most any RV does have at least a one-year warranty on it. And so they can get a lot of those things worked out at no cost. But there is a – just got to be prepared for that bigger list. Uh, so there are some people that we would recommend buying new and they like to have those choices. But in general, I think the – Better advice is to buy pre-owned, and especially because these are expensive, and it's hard to pick the exact right one on your first try. Julie and I did yeah. very well, but we see a lot of people 
who don't make the right choices their first RV with their first RV, and that can get expensive. Yeah, I think a lot of people get very excited to get out there and do it, and they just find when they fall in love with it and go and buy it. And a lot of people buy on emotion. So that's a common mistake that we see. If we didn't buy an emotion, we were very, very uh, – very well researched. We spent months and months digging very, very deep. In fact, we we made an offer on one we thought we wanted, and when the dealer didn't accept our lowball offer, we we stepped back and said, "Well, okay, let's re let's revisit this." And we ended up buying something completely different, which ended up being a much better choice for us. But you know, we see a lot of people buying new, assuming as understandably, like when you buy a new car, right? It's pretty reliable for the as long as you take care of it. It's going to be really reliable for at least good number of years not the case with rvs and you know i think that's one of the frustrations it's a great lifestyle and obviously we're huge advocates for it but if you know what you're getting into if you don't know what you're getting into you could be in for a world of hurt because we've seen people as mark said buy full sticker price and you're 20 percent you know out as soon as you drive off the lot you're 20 percent behind now if you finance that rv start doing the math and see how that and your interest payment starts to add up uh the other thing is you, you just don't really know yourself well enough if you've never owned an RV before to know what's really important and what you want. And it's very hard to get your RV right the first time. Not impossible, but it, it's definitely a lot more difficult. So we generally recommend that most people start used and don't overcommit financially with your first one until you get your legs and really know what it is that you're looking for and what's important to you. Is there a way to try out different RVs. So if you're, let's say you're someone like me, I'm like, all right, I think I'd like a class C because I'd want something smaller in the beginning, this or that. Maybe I'm not going to live in it full time, what have you. But I have no idea if that's true or not, if that's too small, if 23 feet is too, too small, too big, whatever. Is there, yeah, would you like, do you recommend people go and rent them for like week long trips and try out different things? Can you get dealers to let you like test them out? What are some tricks with that? Because a lot of people wouldn't even know what size they'd want. Like, again, if you've never mm. done it, how do you even know what you're looking for? You know, we all grew up in a house, so we have an idea of what a 1,500-square-foot house feels like. I don't know what a 40-foot RV is <laughs> going to feel like compared to a 25-foot RV. Yeah. No, and that's a great point you make. And I definitely do recommend people that rent them. And not just from those major national chain rentals. You know, the, the Cruise America where you see all the branding on the side of them. Those are Class Cs, as you mentioned. Um, there are also opportunities from companies to be able to rent people's individual RVs, you know, kind of like an Airbnb almost, you know, where you're work, renting someone's private RV. And that's a really good way because, one, you'll have a far better variety that you can try out. And two, you'll have something that's you're getting feedback from an actual owner or someone who actually can talk about it and share some of their experiences with it. But I would definitely recommend renting at least a couple to get that feel for it. We have a friend who thought he wanted a Class B, which are the smaller ones, the vans. And when he spent a weekend in it, he realized he's too tall and he hits his head on things. And so he realized, oh, I definitely can't do a Class B to full time or extended travel. So that's when he chose a Class C. So, you know, there's some great ways to rent them. And I would definitely recommend that uh, before making a major purchase. You know, people might think that rentals are expensive, but it's a lot less expensive than making a major purchase. And to your other question, yes, some dealers will allow rentals, you know, short term rentals and especially of used RVs, and will sometimes apply that expense of the rental towards purchase if you decide to go through. 
How how hard is it to drive those class A's? Because that's that that's always the thing that scares me. Like, of course, yeah, it'd be neat to have forty feet and have some room and spread out. But I always look at them and think, oh my gosh, I don't even like driving like an eighteen passenger van around. <laughs> I ran that into a stone pillar in Lyon, France. So how am I ever going to have this forty footer? Are are they? fairly difficult do you get do you get used to it and i know you guys have your car so you are using that to to bump around but you still have to drive a big rv on the highways you probably have gotten stuck in times where you have to do it through a city or at least a big town of course you have to park it in rv uh when you're when you're camping like that that would worry me quite a bit a, a bigger one like a class a yeah, and, so, and that is a big concern for a lot of folks, these Class A's, especially the big 45-footer tag axle, big coaches. You know, those. there's definitely a learning curve on that, and you can go to driving classes specific to these larger RVs, and I would recommend that for people who are not familiar with it. I think I had a bit of an advantage over some people in that in my past I had driven a lot of larger vehicles. I worked in forestry departments where I drove big trucks towing trailers and I was a chauffeur driving super stretch limousines for a while. So I, I understand some of the concepts of these larger coaches, uh, but I would recommend doing some driving classes if you're not familiar with them because they are they are a learning curve to maneuver them in tight spaces. On the highway though, they're amazing because they're so planted and um, you know the lanes on highways are big, but when you get on side streets, you know, you got to remember they're tall and they have something called tail swing where the tail will swing out. And there's a lot of things to be mindful of, but they're not, they're not too bad. Once you get a little bit of driving instruction, I think you can get used to them pretty quick. Just be wise, be mindful of your surroundings. But for someone like you, Travis, cause you've mentioned you've got some interest in getting an RV, you know, you've got a wife, you've got a baby, something like 40 foot, especially if you're not living it would be way too big for someone like you. Hmm. I mean, getting a class C, which feels more like driving a car would be a lot better choice. I think for someone like Travis without, yeah. you know, without digging deeper into what you're looking for, especially if you're just looking for vacationing, because you're going to want to go into a lot of national parks as well. And the bigger RV, the harder it is to get into a lot mm. of places like that. I mean, I think what's the percentage mark of the number of uh, the size of your rig? Yeah, well, it, I think it's up to 70% of parks will accept a rig up to 40 feet in length and only 17 will 17% will accept it if it's over 40 feet. So it drops a lot at that mm-hmm. 40 foot length, but I totally agree with Julie in that you know it's coming back to your why in what you're looking for in an RV. If you're looking to full time, you'll have a very different decision process for what RV you'll have than someone who's using it occasionally on weekends and stuff like that, just for occasional travel. But you want that maneuverability is going to be really important. And especially as you say, if you want to stay an extra couple of days somewhere and extend your stay, if you've got a smaller RV, you you can fit into more sites. So it's just becomes a numbers game then. Yeah, what are some of the other RV tips and tricks? Like things that you wouldn't have ever known before you got out on the road and started learning from other people and having your own experiences. What are some of those things that you think back now and you're like, oh yeah, like this is a cool little hack or, or trick or something that you picked up? Well, I think there's a really common one in the RV world where they say, don't drive any longer than two hours, 200 miles, and stay two nights. Now, we've heard a variation of the rule of, of, twos, yeah. the rule of twos. We've also heard the rule of threes. Don't drive more than 300 miles in a day. Stay three nights. Uh, you know, and Arrive before three. Kind of arrive thing. before 3 p.m. The other one was right before 2 p.m. It's a lot more taxing to drive an RV than a car. 
And a lot of people don't realize that. They think, oh, I can jump in. My GPS says it's going to take, you know, two and a half hours. And, you know, you are not driving that it's 70 miles an hour, or at least you shouldn't be uh, for safety reasons. So, but it's just a lot more fatiguing. Uh, Mark does the driving, not me, but do you want to speak to the driving? Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's a tip is to be mindful of that. Just remember that it is more, far more fatiguing than you first would think. Uh, and so allow, longer. allow a longer, allow longer time than you expect for it to take you to get there. And, and just be mindful of that there is going to be fatigue and don't push yourself. And it is great to show up before dark because you don't want to be parking them in the dark, <laughs> especially if there's trees and stuff like that. that and every time obstacles. we do it, we say, let's not do that again next time. Yeah. <laughs> we find ourselves yeah, we doing do it. avoid that pretty well. We do yeah, mostly. avoid that. But, you know, I think the other thing is that if anyone's watched movies like, you know, um, Robin Williams or RV. RV and some of these other ones, you know, dumping the tanks is not as scary as all these videos portray. <laughs> they try to glamorize, you know, over dramatize that. Now, that's not to say that you will not have problems at some point if you do. <laughs> you know, most RVers will have some kind of story with that. Don't take shortcuts when you're undertaking that activity. Yeah, and don't let people distract you when you're doing stuff like that with your tanks, or when you're packing up and setting, or when you're setting up or packing down. Don't let people distract you in the middle of that process. And if they do, then start your whole process over so you don't miss a step. Too easy to do that. Another travel travel tip that I have, but uh, it's a really simple one, but I just always make sure that I've got a meal ready like on a travel day. So whether I've cooked something ahead of time or pulled something out of the freezer that I can easily heat up that's just ready to go because that, travel days don't ever usually go according to plan. They, they do the more experience and practice you get. But in your early days, things do take longer. You could have an unexpected delay. We, we got set up once at a campground in uh, near Sedona area. We got all set up into the second, it was practically the last campsite in the campground, only to realize that the electrical post didn't work. And so we had to like pull everything in and then find somewhere else that opened out into a cactus right near the front door. So it was really bad location. But that, by that stage, it was dark. Uh, that all took a lot longer. But, you know, you, you think you're going to get somewhere and have time to cook a meal, but you, you if you've got something there ready. You sometimes don't. You sometimes don't, and it's easy to get hangry on a stressful travel day. <laughs> that, yeah, that's good advice, I think, any type of travel. Right? You wake up in the yeah. – whether you're like, hey, I'm going to go to the airport and it's going to be an early morning – pack something the night before so you can grab it and go. Um, although exactly. most of the time I end up leaving, like when I do that, I leave it in the fridge because I completely forget I'd actually been prepared. It's like, oh, Trav, you were prepared <laughs> this time and now you forgot. Um, I put your keys in with it. Then you'll oh, remember there you it. go. Or there you go. Yeah, well, either, that or I, yeah, either that or then I'm like running around the house for three hours and miss the flight because I'm like, where's my keys? <laughs> Going through every jacket possible. Um <laughs> Yeah, and they're right next to my peanut butter and jelly. Um, what about ways that you guys have found to save money the longer you've RV'd, kind of these these tips or these things that you think, all right, we used to drop a lot of money this way, but now we've gotten smarter and now we're saving money because we're doing it this way. I think one of the biggest ones for us is campground memberships, being able to stay in, a, in an organization that you know we bought into a – group of campgrounds that we're able to have no nightly fee now. And so mm -hmm. I think that's probably one of the biggest cost savings we discovered over the years is getting involved in that. Yeah, we uh, 
we don't paid up front for that. We actually bought it as a resale. So that's another thing. We didn't have to buy this membership new. So that would have cost probably about five grand to buy this membership new. It's a little bit like a timeshare concept, but uh, there's about 80 campgrounds around the country. They've expanded that now. There's like more like 200. But we got our membership for 2,500. So we bought it half price. So that was a travel tip right there. And we've written a lot about this on our on our website, rblove.com. There's a lot of uh, information there on how we did that and what to look out for but that we so we're here in florida from uh, december through to april so we're here for four months Mm -hmm. and i would say three of them we won't be paying anything for and what would that have have cost roughly if you were an equivalent type of campsite and you were paying nightly well Um, florida can run a gamut uh, you know some of the stuff in the florida keys can cost as much as twenty five hundred dollars a month oh um, over a hundred over a hundred a night but uh some of these uh, a lot of campgrounds will cost maybe forty dollars a night so and um so you could be looking at easy fifteen hundred a month um but yeah there's different ways to manage that but i think it's not uncommon in peak areas to be spending at least a thousand if not fifteen hundred a month on those camp fees and so that's saving us a few grand, four yeah, or five so grand. Yeah, so you're paying that membership off within a couple months, typically. Oh, yeah. If, if we, you're we paid it off. Yeah. Yeah. We bought that uh, back in 2014, so we've had it four years now. And uh, we pay about $600 a year in annual dues. So after that initial investment that we paid twenty five hundred, you know, eight hundred a year, it's it's nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's been really, really affordable for us. It mm-hmm. has. And, and and in less desirable areas and in less desirable times of the year, you can probably find a month stay in a campground for three or four hundred bucks. But you know, if you're we're comparing apples to apples, you know, Florida this time of year, you're you're talking massive savings. Yeah, and yeah, a lot definitely. of times you guys probably want to be. I mean, because you're in an RV and because you have you could go wherever you want, you want to be in the more desirable <laughs> areas, right? Like you don't want to be in a North Dakota campground in the middle of winter because the reason you're <laughs> exactly. in an RV is so you don't have to be in a North exactly. Dakota winter, right? So, um, yeah, okay, so that that that's cool, and that puts that in perspective. And are do you have a recommendation? And I know you guys have a bunch more of the actual nitty-gritty details in the book and on the site but do you have a few resources if people were saying like yeah i'm looking at a campground membership or there are some big ones that you can rattle off that you think hey these are pretty good deals or could be good deals if people use them right yeah, the, the, the membership that we have and primarily use is called Thousand Trails, um, and that's the network of, of 80 campgrounds. And, and we bought our we actually bought our membership through a broker. You can buy direct from the company or you can buy through a broker, and the broker does not charge for what they do. They kind of make their cut on the transfer fee with the company. But uh, that's that's what we use. We do cover them, as you say, a lot in the book in Chapter 9 on travel. But uh, there are other networks like KOA, uh, they tend to be a little bit more expensive. They tend mm. to be more like you know fifty plus a night. We're seeing we're seeing as as RVing is getting more common and definitely an increase in the nightly rates now. What used to be thirty forty a night, we're now seeing is forty or fifty. It's not uncommon for us to see campgrounds that are sixty plus a night. And of course, here in Florida in the winter, we've seen them actually two hundred a night, believe it or not. And that's with your own RV. But uh, KOA is another one. There are some other groups like Colorado River Adventures that have a group of maybe seven, but they tend to be more down in the southwest. There aren't a lot, Travis. There aren't a lot of campground networks like the one that we are a member of, Thousand Trails. That's why we like it so much. It's very popular with full-time RVers. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a little tricky understanding how the system works, which is why we've ended up writing so much about it to demystify something that should not be complicated. But for some reason, they make it that way. 
way. And I think, uh, you know, those sales pitches can sometimes, they, they, they intentionally try to confuse people. And uh, so we just try to demystify that in, in what we share in our, mm-hmm. at our website. But, um, but I, I, it'll be interesting to see how the landscape changes over these next few years because I think the industry is undergoing some, some big change. Yeah, I, I think they do it. Well, I mean, the more you use it, the the less money they're making per stay, right? Like same with frequent flyer right. miles. It doesn't have to be confusing. Exactly. It is on purpose, but you take a couple hours and people like you thankfully have deep do like have deep dived into it. Oh, yeah. So it's like, hey, here's a dummy's guide to this. And then yeah, you spend an hour, you read it, you understand fifty percent, you go back, you read it again, and then all of a sudden you're like, All right. That was a lot easier than the couple months it probably took you guys to figure it out. Um, so yep, thanks for that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, they they're not done. They know that most people will like give up, and then they have their membership too. So, all right, cool. What about your biggest travel mishap? But I, I prefer if you have one that has to do with the RV. Of course, is there something you guys have done since you've been in the RV that you're just like, okay, this is a good story now, but when it was happening. Well, yeah, maybe I that's think, so great. I think perhaps one of the biggest mishaps is over being over trusting of technology, specifically a GPS. Oh uh, yeah. So I, I think you know there, we've learned that lesson to not overly trust the GPS. They are not foolproof. They will send you on the wrong road. You may end up on a 15 mile dirt road with ruts on your RV. That's not ideal. It may try and take you underneath a nine foot tall bridge when you're 13 feet tall RV. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think the GPS over trusting a GPS <laughs> is the biggest mishap, but we've, yeah. we've learned to do a more thorough job and cross reference when we do our route planning. Yeah, there there was that one time in Wyoming where we were on that fifteen mile dirt road that Mike was talking about, and an RV like ours should never have been on. And that thing, if it hadn't been the fact that we abhor littering, that thing would have been out the window. But I just didn't want to risk clubbing one of those cows. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and one other thing, you know, related to you know traveling with the RV, that I think it's a funny story. The day it happened, it wasn't. The moment it happened, it wasn't super funny when the RV broke down on a hill out in the middle of the desert and nowhere in Arizona. But what was really funny is when we looked up on the GPS to find out where we were, we realized we were five miles from the town of nothing. So it was, you know, not the middle of nowhere. We were five miles from nothing. And that's something that was not super funny at the time, but it was, it's definitely funny to look at now. You're like, oh, this irony will be very funny five days from now (laughs) when the RV's fixed and we're not near nothing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Made for a good video. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. See, that's the thing I love about travel mishaps, especially in our lines of work, right? Like you always are going to have content and people are going to be like, then you're going to show them and they're going to think it's funny. You'll probably get a lot of viral YouTube hits then, right? Five miles from nothing. Um, you know, People love it when things go wrong for some reason. Of course. Don't they? Of they, course, do, yeah. they just love that. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, don't yeah. have too much of that, but so we have to milk it when we do get those. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So Google Maps just needs to put in a little RV icon, right? They have like the walk, bike, public transport, car. Now they just need an RV and you could put in like your height and, and your I shape. I wish they would. And then well, all you of a sudden it'd be like... Yeah, you know what's funny about that, Travis, is we actually have a GPS that's specifically for RVs, and that is the one that, that still failed us. Yeah. So that's uh, so again, don't overtrust technology. Yep. All right. No, our, no GPS can be trusted, right? 
Not a hundred percent. They're a really a great, great tool, tool, but just don't rely on it fully. I mean, we still use a, a paper Rand McNally road atlas, and they're a fantastic resource. Uh, so we just, we, it, it's really worth it to spend a little bit more time before you head out on a drive to just spend a little bit of time travel planning because you will make up that time. Yeah, and watch the, the road signs. You know, when it said <laughs> it said turn left in five miles, but when I looked out the my corner of my eye and I saw a sign that said bridge low bridge nine feet in two miles i realized something was not jiving right right right. what do you guys have coming up in the pipeline because now now you have the book out you've got the youtube channel you've got the site what else i mean i mean it's not gonna be three and a half four years till we see each other again but what should i be looking out for what should people be looking out for over the next couple months couple you know six months 12 months whatever and also personally what where are you gonna be what what type of travels do you have well, the most imminent thing coming, we're still in the tail end of our, our book promotion for Living the RV Life, Your Ultimate Guide to Life on the Road. That's been awesome fun doing that book tour. Uh, so that's in the wind-up stages now. So we're going to take, take a nice little nap over Christmas <laughs> for maybe seven-day nap. And then uh, what we're coming out with in January is our Ultimate RV Makeover Series. And that is a YouTube series. It will also be on our website, rvlove.com, and show how we've transformed this uh, 20-year-old old highway princess into this kind of glamour what are we glamping machine really <laughs> it looks fantastic we're really you can you can see just behind us a couple of little things we, we've been very good about keeping this under wraps we've had people asking us when are you starting your remodel i'm like well we actually finished it in the summer we've just been keeping it a secret while we've been working on all of these big projects but uh, that'll start coming out in january uh really excited we actually had a good friend of ours from australia who's an interior designer fly out uh i flew eight thousand miles and stayed with us on a property in Oregon while we did this remodel, which incidentally we did completely off grid using power tools and everything. So that's going to be a cool angle. So was that on know, purpose? Both- like the yeah. off grid thing? Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was on a friend's property, so we did have water. We did have water, yeah. and up. we had the ability to hook up to power if we needed it, but we wanted we to test our system nice. for off grid. Yeah. Nice. So that's a really cool angle. So I think that's going to. Re- we think this is going to be a really popular series, and. Uh, yeah, we're really excited to share it with everyone. So that that's our biggest thing coming up in uh, come January and uh, 2019. You know, we're not uh, we're not exactly sure what the year holds. I think there's been so much has happened in 2018, and we just have a sense it's going to lead to something else. We just don't. Yeah, quite we know think what it'll it be big. But you know, what's funny is here we are in December, and we last December. You know, we knew we were going to be part of a movie last year, but we did not know we were going to be doing a book, and we did right. not know we were going to be doing a renovation. So, our years can can change can change on us, and so we're we try not surprises. to overplan. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's the be- and that's the beauty of the lifestyle is again, you we're talking about variable costs, but it's also variable like with your time, right? Like you don't have all these other things weighing on you. You have your RV, you're self contained, and you're sitting there saying like, hey. If something comes up, like we're gonna take, we're gonna jump on it. We we if, if a destination comes up, we want to go to, we're gonna jump on it. If an opportunity comes up, we can jump on it because you're just so much more nimble when you don't have a lot of things weighing you down. Absolutely, exactly. And I think Absolutely. one of the tips, you know, just to on that note, but to refers back, one of the other travel tips is don't overplan. Don't overplan your life when you're traveling. You know, these having done so much travel yourself, is it can be easy to fall into that trying to plan everything and. You know, I think leaving some space open for new opportunities and possibilities to come along is part of the excitement and the fun. 
for sure, for sure. Well, Mark and Julie, thank you guys so much for joining me today, for dispelling the myth that RVing is only for retired people. We know that is not true. I'm checking out their book right now. I love that you guys just are showing people it's possible, not just telling them, but saying, like, this is us living it four and a half years. Your book has a bunch of interviews with a ton of other people too, which is really neat. Uh, As you mentioned, all ranges of ages, uh, demographics, families, budgets, everything. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it, you literally are talking f- to anyone from 18 to 80 and all ranges. Yeah. And that's what was so cool when I got to book the mail. I was reading through it. I'm like, yeah, this, it, it doesn't matter what situation you're in. If you want to make this happen, you can make it happen. And you guys teach people how to do that. So thank you so much. Thanks for giving me a, another huge dose of wanderlust. I'm going to go off this podcast and then <laughs> you know, start badgering Heather about getting an RV again. She'll, I think you should. Yeah, she'll be like, oh, Mark and Julia. He can't talk to them. Now he's going to want an RV <laughs> we again. We want to see you guys yeah. out there. Come and meet up with us somewhere, Travis. <laughs> That's right. Up. Remind people one more time, best place for them to come get a hold of you. Where should they go? Yeah, best place to get a hold of us is our website, rvlove.com. We're also rvlove on YouTube and all over social media. And you can get our book at uh, rvlove.com forward slash book or Amazon, Barnes & Noble, even some Costco stores. Independent bookstores, yeah, it's everywhere. So we're excited. It's it's doing really well. Yeah, so cool that that's out on the shelves. I mean, yeah, I... You must be very, very proud because even I'm proud when I walk and see one of my friend's books on the shelves. I didn't even write it. I had nothing to do with it. But I'm just like, I know them. Uh, so congrats, guys, on that. And and we will link everything up in the show notes. Um, we'll especially link up where you can get the book. But you guys, it's super easy. They're at RV Love. You can find them all over at RV Love. So Mark and Julie, thank you guys so much again from uh, sunny and a bit warmer Florida. Thanks for coming and hanging out with me for the last hour. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. Always great to catch up with you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one radio travel podcast on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.